1: Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nets podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I almost forgot what my intro was then. I am your host, Joe Branton, joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello, Mr. Joe. And from Thorpey FX, Thorpey. Hello. How are you doing? (laughs) Hello, indeed. Hello and welcome back, Thorpey. Thanks for coming back on an episode. We haven't had you on an
2: episode since uh, Gear of the Year. Yeah, it's been a while. I, I, I read something about that the other day. They said I shouldn't be invited back for Gear of the Year, <laughs> and some they should invite some total randomer who's a lot crazier. Uh, yeah, well, that's, crazier. Uh, we'll see. Know. We
1: it's we might talk about we might talk about that later on the on the Patreon, and coming up with weird ideas for what to do on. Uh, gear of the year this year of course i think actually philip it was re- it was really was your suggestion that ended up winning uh, gear of the year the audio kitchen fake plastic trees
2: a deserved win i think
1: uh, i think so too you, uh, you spoke so uh, cuz I, I i i mean i voted for it almost blindly like only having sort of seen reviews having never tried the pedal out into it after gear of the year which speaks to the authenticity of our gear of the year but you spoke so incredibly positively positively about it That I was completely convinced, and Matt, I I actually sent you uh, one last week. You've had a week now to to get to grips with it. We did speak about it last week, but I I, I know that. But but are you you still still enjoying it as much as? Well, I'll be
3: perfectly honest, Joe. I've not been in a week, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I've been carefully watching the ups tracking on my new guitar which we're also
1: going to talk about this week still (laughs) hasn't arrived we were going to talk about that for about the last month it is of course dear listener the fender ed o'brien stratocaster probably the best stratocaster you can buy by fender at the moment but still unable to actually turn up at your house matt
3: i i would say i'm a i'm a relatively calm man uh and for years working in retail and you know the last thing. Soon, someone starts shouting at you. Instantly, turn off. You're just like, look, not going to bother, not going to deal with it. And I and I've always, always had a calm demeanour whenever talking to customer service when there's a problem. Until the last few times i phoned UPS, <laughs> and I'm almost certain, almost certain they have made a note on my account that flashes up when I put that tracking number in and phone them because the person who ph- answered today literally wouldn't let me get a word in, and then almost hung up the phone. So um, I hate UPS.
2: Best <laughs> to start with that. Oh, okay. Discuss. Oh, don't get me started. We, we we had someone go missing from UPS, and uh, we've ended up having to, well, like most businesses, I guess, having to have our own insurance for losses in transit and such like. Because the insurance that UPS provide is absolutely criminal. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm sure it's not just UPS. I actually ended up having comms with the head of UPS in the UK. And they would not budge. And in the end, the only answer is as follows. You have insurance with someone who deals with this all the time. They collate a load of claims and then they take the courier to court en masse and get their money back. And so they pay out on yours. They do it wow. as a class action suit. And it's not worth UPS's time at that point. So they generally pay out or wow. whoever it is. A nightmare. Wow. wow. wow.
1: Well, I mean, yes. See, you know, we we will move on from from talking about UPS. But Matt, uh, we when I sent you something, when I sent you the fake plastic trees, I can't remember did we even speak about it on the podcast. But uh, it, 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 UPS didn't manage to deliver that to you either, did they? They, uh, they claimed <laughs> no. that they delivered it, even though you were in, and it ended up at, um, at, at a drop off point funnily enough this week i sent naomi my uh, my bronco from the Broncoff because i didn't really want it and uh, and exactly the same thing happened she was in all day nothing nothing no one tried to deliver then it on the on the tracking it says that they've tried to deliver it three times it's been unsuccessful and it's gone to a drop-off point um but
3: Excellent, awful um, service. Anyway, terrible. But on on the on the fake plastic trees, I think yeah. Just uh, for anyone who didn't listen last week, shame on you. Um, but ultimately, yeah, instant great. Yeah, you plugged it in. Didn't really need to change much. In fact, I found that when I had the setting that I had for ages, I, was like, I probably should explore some other settings, and then kind of change the dials a bit. And went, yeah, it sounds good. But I liked it the way where it was, and that was basically everything at noon and I was like cool break all the knobs off take that down never need to change it again yeah um but yeah ultimately just one of the best I guess we'll we'll talk about this as a subject later on but amp in a box style (laughs) overdrives that elusive term that that follows so many pedals
1: but yeah but that's what I, I was the using the fake plastic trees as when when I had it here because I think I got it that, again topically uh, dear listener if you are aware of the of the guitar news and why uh, Thorpe is here but at the time I had a victory uh, V4 Duchess turn up at the same time that I got the uh, the audio kitchen fake plastic trees and of course the V4 is, is you know, it's a classy power stage, but a valve preamp. It is an amp in a box, essentially. It is an amplifier. Um, but, you know, with that kind of, it's a desktop amplifier sort of feel to it. So it's kind of designed for recording. And the fake plastic trees can very much be used in the in that way as well only it's much much simpler and it just has four controls and you just need a nine volt and there's none of the other bells and whistles admittedly there's none of the other bells and whistles no tremolo no reverb things like that but when i was kind of a being the two as something that i would just use to plug a guitar in to go straight into a daw to record the simplicity of just having a great sound straight out of the box from the fake plastic trees was was a was a winner for me it was just such a such a great unit so convenient um, indeed so yes I did like that more as an amp solution than a pedal solution but whilst we're talking about that fact of course Adrian Thorpe is here because Thorpe you um, you hooked up with victory amps to create a new an an entire new line of amplifier effects pedals the v1 series of pedals
2: i did indeed but i'm going to change uh the 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 wording you just said i hooked up with it sounds Mm. a bit um sexual bit sexual yeah yeah Um, (laughs) i was deliberately going for that (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, no yeah we we ended up uh w- Making working out. on oh working yeah yeah working out uh we worked on five pedals at the same time with them and uh yeah I've, it, it's one of those things where you you agree to do it and you, then you clasp your hands and then go what have i done and <laughs> realize what you've bitten off but the reality is it was it came at the right time for us, I I just wanted a a challenge and uh, yeah we, we, it's cool because you get to develop things that are not necessarily on your sort of glide path where you thought you were going to be or what you were doing and uh, yeah they seem to be going down an absolute storm so I'm I'm really pleased (laughs)
1: Well, it was such a different thing for you, I guess, because everything you create is completely original. I mean, often inspired by classic things, but you're very much taking those things to the next level or redesigning them. And also, you kind of have carte blanche over what they do. If you decide you want to add something else onto it, you can. Whereas this, you had a set criteria you were creating. And dear listener, if you're not familiar, the V1 pedals uh, by Victory are essentially 9-volt you know, normal-size effects pedal versions of all the Victory amplifiers, so amps in a box, They're designed to go into the front of a clean amp to give you the option of sounding like a big Victory valve amp. Sort of the the progression from V4, I guess, where it was a Class D, now it's just a pedal. But, but that was... Yeah, I guess you, you were, not hamstrung, that's not the right term, but you were you had to create something that was just an emulation of these. Did you find that like a, a completely different way of working?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, th- I think one of the biggest difficulty, not a difficulty, but the biggest concern for me is I'm, I'm playing, we're sort of playing with someone else's legacy and brand. Yeah. And that's, it sounds daft now, obviously, but it's sort of, you want to do right by them not only for them but for you and and you you don't want to give a bad showing of yourself and we knew that they've got this depth of quality in their amplifier line and and then their you know their amp in a box uh valve pedals um and we just didn't we just didn't want to let them down and so initially we started the closest thing we thought to we thought it would be best to make a smaller pedal based upon the V4s right, right. that was the initial plan um and it and it didn't work out right because it ended up missing as a as a solid a fully solid state piece it ended up missing in the prototype stage some of what the amp does when it interacts the power transformer uh, power transformer interacts with the cap, right and so what you have to do is look at the whole picture of what you're trying to do and what and ultimately what you're trying to do is make a sound right this is super simple and b and i'm really speaking obviously i guess but
1: no sure yeah yeah
2: you're wanting a sound now trying to make the v uh, v ones you know sound like the V4s, that was doable, but the V4s went into or designed primarily to go into a loop that then uses the output and transformer and the cab and those interactions to generate its sound. Um, and obviously the power amp of, of, of said amp. And so by trying to trying to make the small solid state pedals sound like the uh, the V4s, we ended up missing a beat and we missed a section of the sound and how, in- and how crucial that was, uh, became very clear. And so at that point we switched and we, we put the V fours to one side and just concentrated solely on getting the V ones to sound like the big amps. Right. I see. So it, it ended up being not what I thought it was, But I'm so glad we made that change and we ended up where we did, because I think that the product's better for it, and you can genuinely say, or I can, (laughs) (laughs) we we know that we went to great pains to emulate what the amps give. Right.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
3: So really trying to go for, I I guess it's, it's like I said earlier, it's amp in a box is a term that's like, oh, this pedal, it's like an amp in a box, you know, going all the way back to like Marshall, Governor, Marshall, Shredmaster. It's an amp in a box. To, To you, I guess you've sort of said it there, it's not about necessarily going and building a pedal where you're, trying to get all the interactions that you would get in a real amplifier but actually just going this amp sounds like this and i'm trying to make something that sounds exactly the same basically as you said in terms of a sound so what's the kind of optimum way do you think these v1s should be should be used straight into a straight into just a clean pedal platform is that the kind of
2: idea behind there yeah design, i'd I t- i'd say that's fair i mean uh, the, the what I will say is, you know, that term "amp in a box," it's been much maligned over the years. But I don't. I, th- I think we all have in our head pedals that have succeeded at that, and pedals that haven't succeeded at that. And I think we're very lucky at the moment in that we've, there's a lot of gear out there that is is good, and it's kind of. But we've all got that shadow of dross that that has carried forward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, into our psyche, um you know what I what we were trying to go for is yeah. Broadly speaking, you take the pedal, you plug it into a relatively clean amp, and you know a relative not characterless, but a relatively flat EQ. And I mean, it's neither too midly, too bassy, too trebly, and then you use the pedal like most people use it with their pedal boards a normal pedal board into that amp and it creates the sound of said victory Mm. um, big amp. Now, that's that's partly the aim, but the reality is not everyone has a flat EQ amp, not everyone has a totally clean amp. And so what you have to do is you design the V1 pedal to work with a range of amplifiers and you put enough scope within the controls of the pedal to actually cope with the sort of i would say the 80th percentile of the bell curve you know mm-hmm. that's what that's what you're trying to achieve and I, and that we do that with the thorpy pedals as well you know we try, you know a lot of people are used to just using the the knobs on their pedals straight up you know oh, if I, if it doesn't sound good at 12 then that's it
1: yeah, absolutely. We I think we spoke a bit about that last week, Matt, but yeah, it's very much everyone thinks at 12 o'clock things should sound normal and then you're accentuating them to either end.
2: Yeah, so a lot of people don't do that design-wise. I mean, I I know for a fact that, that you know, if you took our take the Thorpey Fallout Cloud for example, you know, you play the EQ, you can go full left of arc and full right of arc and, and, and you get good sounds and you mm, can tailor it. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to use the full range of the controls. And, and that ethos from the Thorpe line, that was definitely used within the, the victory line as well because we, what's the point in having an EQ that only really operates between 10 and 2? You've got yeah, a full sure. sweep of a knob there that you can use. So, um, so although the main aim is to have them used with a clean amp, they can cope with quite a lot, and and they bring the character of the the amp they're emulating to that. Yeah, I certainly thought so. I got one of the
1: uh, the V1 Duchess um, pedals, which I've really enjoyed. Like going straight into a, a slightly edge of breakup amp and using it almost as a thickener. I thought was great because it kind of offered something, I guess, a little bit more than you would with a normal drive. Like, rather, I appreciate I could have just made a very clean thing sound like uh, a Victory Duchess. But what I really like is thanks to the the three band EQ and the fact that there is just a bit more depth from the pedal because it's designed to to do that. That going into an edge of breakup amp meant that I could create this really thick. Um, kind of classic overdrive, fendery overdrive sound, but still retain all that like depth and clarity that you often lose once you get to sort of mid-gain drives when they sort of cloud everything with gain. There's still sort of all that character from the EQ. I- I've really loved using it. I think it's great.
2: Yeah, it's a very uncompressed pedal, that. That's yeah. that's, that's why. that was That was quite a... I've all, so I've got, like, a, a pecking order as to which one was the hardest to do, which one required more iterations, and, you know, which one was, was the easiest. So I wouldn't – I the, the justice just was the one that we got there quite quickly, huh. but I was surprised by that because it's quite hard. Like it's easy to make a saturated pedal and, like, give it its character and put it into a clean amp, and it sounds like the amp. But when the Duchess is known for being a good, clean pedal platform and then you're putting it into a clean amp, you almost find yourself going, well, why? Well, <laughs> the, the why, And the why is it's uncompressed, it's very responsive, it has its own character, but over and above that, it works impeccably well with whatever amp you're going into. So if you've got it a bit on edge... Like you say, you use it as a thickener. If you're, it's a little bit mid-scooped, you use it to fill the gaps. It actually becomes a bit of a multi-tool pedal, and almost like a a pedal platform pedal. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that one really surprised me when when we when we got it to where it needed to be and uh oh and it also drives too so there you go uh, yeah
1: exactly it sounds great it sounds good i mean it's a good it's very low to medium drive but it's it's it, it's exactly what i want in a in a drive pedal so I was a big fan what was your favorite one to work on um, or your favorite one i guess sonically so my favorite one sonically uh is the jack what's the jack do the jack's not one I'm i'm amazingly familiar with
2: Guthrie Govan's known oh, for using the Countess amp as it was, and it got renamed to the Jack. And it's a very thick, saturated, syrupy lead uh, type of drive. Right. And uh, I just found the Jack really good to play. Do you know why you instantly plug in?
3: It's, it's a good all-rounder, isn't it? The amp was always, the the V30 was always the kind of, really good all-rounder, you know, because you kind of had... I mean, obviously, everyone heard Guthrie play and went, oh, yeah, I'm going to sound just like Guthrie. And it's like, no. But, you know, ultimately, what he could do with it in terms of clean to to lead, you know, with what ultimately is a very simple amplifier, Um, you know, I guess you could say, you know... I was going to say jack of all trades, and that sounds like a horrible pun, <laughs> which I didn't actually mean. Um... But, you know, ultimately, I think that's probably, to me, especially with the amps, that's the most versatile one, so I'd expect that the same from the pedal, I guess.
2: Yeah, like, I, and I, for me, it was just the most rewarding, because I'm not... I like the Kraken a lot, um, but I just wanted to always... The sort of amps I like are things like I've I've got a Soldano 100-watt head and I've got a Maze Boogie Mark III, and so from a level of gain... Um, yeah, they're your cup of tea. Those yeah, dogs, they're my know. cup of tea. So not not Uber, but still pretty uh, forgiving in the uh, sloppy guitarist department. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, but the, I guess the one the one I really enjoyed making, but n- w- but not necessarily for me, uh, is the copper. Really? Yeah. So that one's
1: been very successful for victory the copper v1 yeah i love the
2: amp i love the v4
1: yeah i've got the v4 it's absolutely brilliant um and of course when they when victory got in touch with me and were like yeah do you want any of the v1s i was like well absolutely the copper they were like yeah that is what everyone has said and we do not have
2: any left (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, which I guess shows how low down on the pecking order I am for being
2: contacted for these things. But uh, No, I, I just know <laughs> that they, they have made a lot and sold a lot. And yeah. I, yeah, so don't, I don't think it's a reflection of your <laughs> abilities or anything like that. But uh, yeah, the copper... So the copper is an interesting one because we, we obviously had the copper amp and we had the copper V4, but I just also happened to have a 1963 Vox AC 30 to hand so that was Ideal. nice that was handy <laughs> um, um, and so with and so, uh, top boost so it was really good to see A. how close the victory amp is to that vintage amplifier but again we're back to this interaction thing between the speakers and the output transformer and that Vox amp has that in spades, it's just got it in spades and they captured that within the copper uh, the amplifier and we knew that we had to, if, if it was to be successful i need to have enough range to cover what victory have done also to cover what the uh, diamond fronted amplifier um, was trying to achieve as well yeah. uh, so and, and and the the breadth of music that has been created on those amplifiers well, yeah. is it- really hard it's a little unforgiving
1: to sort of bit to have to make an emulation of this. Is well. you you've got to get it. It's such a well trodden path and such a well known sound.
2: It's all all in or nothing. That's literally yeah. it. So if you fail, you fail, and you're nowhere near. And um, we we knew we got it, and we were over the moon that that we'd got it. Um, especially when you stack a treble booster into it and <laughs> stuff like that. It does the. Uh, Dan, who's, who's our chief analog designer. He, uh, he's a massive Beatles fan. Right. and And it's, it was his, it was his AC30 we had. And, um, so he's looking at, at it from that perspective and I'm looking at it from sort of, uh, you know, the queen Brian May style sound and going, it's got to do everything, mate. We we've really got to try and get it there. And, um, yeah, it was cool. But of,
1: but of course, you're a little li- limited, I guess, as well, because the, the one thing we haven't mentioned, dear listener, if you've not seen them, is that the they're all you've gone for uniformed controls um, across all of them. So it is all volume gain and a three band EQ on everything. So well, the is lost...
2: slightly different. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, it's it? slightly different. Oh. So uh, it's got a, it's got a tone control as well as a bass and a treble control, just like the amplifier. Ah. Oh that's
1: excellent. Well what, how come you sort of went uniformed on everything and then not on that? Cuz of course there are lots of I guess bells and whistles on on these things like the tremolos and the reverbs that you get on the on the on the copper and the the duchess.
2: Yeah, so we didn't go uniform on that because that 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 change was so significant that it had to be in, in, integrated. It right. has such an effect on spanning genres of music. Yeah, then it had to be there. Yeah, yeah. So that, yes. That's why the change so. was made. I see,
1: I see. But but, how come you? Um, was it always the plan to not have the other things like the tremolos and the reverbs on on the pedal? Was that something you ever considered?
2: Well, the th- the th- the thing with that is, if you if you go down the route of adding all the bells and whistles, as in tremolo reverb, you're into multi pedal effects at that point. Yeah. You're also, with a reverb, you, you're you into. You're either into a massive analog pedal or you're into a um, massive um, digital uh, edition. Yeah. And you need an
1: effects loop or you can have it in the wrong place in the chain. Yeah, I guess there's all those limitations. It just
2: ends up being. It'll be out of the budget. Um, and it's out of. Uh, it's, just, it's just. It doesn't fit in with what those pedals were trying to achieve, which is capture the character of the amplifier. Right, right.
1: I see, I see. Is the copper the the only one with an additional control then? It's not got an
2: additional control. It just gets rid of the mids control.
1: Oh, I see, right. Oh, I understand. Okay, Ah, excellent. Is that the only one where the controls differ then?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Because the others have got three-band EQ um, and, yeah, volume and gain um which makes sense because because we're coming off a uh, you know looking at the design of the amplifier looking at the preamp um looking at the EQ that's available on the amp and then and looking at the output stage and so if you split it out like that we, the changes internally are that you know depend on the type of the pedal depends on where the EQ is placed within the circuit where how many uh, stages of a preamp do you have blah 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 so um but three band eq is more than enough especially as they're active and uh yeah works really well
1: yeah yeah well um i've i've only been able to get my hands on the duchess v1 but it looks like they're being received incredibly well and they're also you know pretty pretty affordable as far as pedals go as far as pedals go that are designed by you they are they're they're pretty affordable
2: Um, yeah and they're handmade in the uk i think
1: yeah yeah, fantastic! They are really good. Well, there you go, dear listener. Do check out the the Victory V ones. Uh, we we think they're great. I am really enjoying the Duchess. I've been running the Duchess into the V four Copper, which might sound strange, <laughs> but it was, it was great. Amp into amp, <laughs> amp into amp. It was uh, it was great. I had a I had a really good time. Um, but yes, let's uh, let's talk about some guitar-related uh, things. What uh, have you got? Anything new at the moment, Thorpey? What what guitar are you playing the most at the moment? Oh,
2: so I, uh, a couple of things actually. I've had, I had a bit of a Les Paulathon this uh, this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I've ended up with. Yeah, three less Pauls. Oh, that's <laughs> um, all right. Those pedals must be paying off, Joe. Or just you no. Know. <laughs> so, it'll make sense. It, I'm sure. Um, so, I've, right, I got an offset from Seth Backus. I got an Argonaut. I think that landed this year. Oh, very yeah, nice. Yeah, it did. Yeah, that that's that's wicked. It's absolute handbag central in regards to. Uh, the blinginess of it—it's like purple sparkle, <laughs> oh, and, it, and it works. Oh. It works so well, and and Seth is such a good luthier. He's so good. Um, so that arrived, I think, maybe after Christmas time, I think. And then over the course of this year, one I had, I had a Tokai Love Rock, um, a Japanese one. I'm nice. And I'm a big I'm fan nice. of big fan of Tokai, and it's an LS200. Oh yeah, uh, they're the more affordable ones, the two hundreds.
1: Uh, about fifteen hundred quid. Oh really? Oh maybe. Oh maybe I'm wrong then, because I thought it was the five hundred, the eight hundred. So I assumed the two hundred was a lesser
2: one, but I, I'm probably wrong. So it's done on the yen. So two hundred indicates two hundred thousand yen.
1: Right. Okay. Oh, I see. Okay.
2: Bigger the number, the more money they are. So like the LS right. four hundred is like you know the Uber one, but um, so I got that. And it said it was nitro finished, um, and that turned out to be a lie. (laughs) So it was nitro flashed over a plastic uh, finish. (laughs) Now, horses for courses, it played amazing, but it felt horrible. So I had it stripped and redone, and and this is a saga that's gone on for years. Anyway, this year I was determined to get it sorted, and I, I sent it away to a fine welsh gentleman called hugh price ah yes and uh he stripped it um reshaped the neck um reshaped the headstock redid all the frets redid the fretboard uh refinished the body (laughs) triggers
3: broom right there (laughs) Oh, <laughs> it,
2: it was a frustrating experience because not not because he was he was amazing. Um, but at some point, it's not that it's it's not the same guitar, and it's lost loads of weight because of it. Um, and it's just immaculate. I mean, Hugh is is a badass. Mm. If you want everyone your mm. guitar refinished, he's he's the man. Um, so I had that done, and that's amazing. And then I got a slash Les Paul, one of the two 200- hundred ones that came out the number four one my goodness you got number four well it i i don't know whether it's number four but it's the slash number four Les No, the stand they call it, was it
3: the standard four standard limited edition four edition i think is what
2: they called yeah it came it. with a vinyl and stickers and stuff and like, you know all sorts with the big number four on it right, right. yeah but it comes as a sticker you don't stick oh,
3: okay good that's a sticker Okay. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So I got that and uh, I was really pleased to get it. And uh, I'm probably going to send that to Hugh Price to get that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, the problem is, you've got people like. um, I sound really negative here. Guitar's great. But when you've got CNC marks and sanding marks in the inlays and and knowing what the guitar costs, Mm. and it wasn't, you know, it's not like they're historics or anything like that. It was probably a 10% more than their standard range, but it's still loads of money. Uh, it should be it should be near enough immaculate, as far as I'm concerned, for that yeah. budget.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, any guitar, I mean, what, three grand, three and a half grand? Any guitar, that that price should be, yeah. you know, well, you should get what you pay for, don't you? And, you? and you're paying a lot, so you should get a lot of guitar for your money, and I think that's what me and Jove said on especially recent ones. And, and Joe, after you came back from Guitar Summit, like the amount of luthiers out there who are just, you know, tiny operations going for as much as, you know, or less than Gibson's and Fender Custom Shops that are, you know, beyond perfect,
2: you know. Well, this is horrible. The the fretboard was greyer than a British winter. <laughs> and that's pretty grey. Right. <laughs> right. And it wasn't sanded. Wow. So... Wow. Whoever, anyway, look, all these things are fixable, which I have fixed. I ended up sanding the thing down. and But I, I, I think if I sent it to Hugh, he'd probably do a better setup and stuff than I can. But um, The guitar's great, but I don't believe that Slash would be particularly happy <laughs> knowing that <laughs> something that's got his name on it goes out like a bag of crap. Mm, yeah. Mm. You know, anyway, for all the Gibson fanboys out there... <laughs> It's, so it's a great good. guitar. It's great guitar. However, they ought to sort their QCM. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, back to small luthiers. Not like physically. I
3: mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just that little tiny, that tiny one that lives down the road,
2: builds tiny guitars. I got a Panucci Les Paul.
1: Oh really? Oh my. God. Goodness. How did the quality compare with that because they look they're so good. I was I spent a lot of time on their booth at Guitar Summit and uh, all, all of their stuff just looks absolutely immaculate.
2: So I he, anyway, he he's he's friends with uh um he's friends with uh Chris Buck and then Chris messaged me and said, "Look, you're at the guitar show. Uh, would you mind if he uh you know they put a number of guitars on your on your stand and I was like yeah, absolutely, because that means, A, I don't have to leave my stand and, and to go and try guitars, awesome guitars, and, B, <laughs> you know, people love that stuff. It's a draw, and it brings people in, and so people were playing the guitars, playing the pedals, loving the guitar, loving the pedals, and, you know, it went really well. However, I ended up with basically a, a golem on my stand, uh, or maybe not, that's the wrong term, that's a negative term, but, I mean, it's just temptation the whole weekend um so i just uh i was just like look uh can i uh keep this one <laughs> uh yeah, so i ended up buying it um but it's a 59 uh,
1: of course it is that's that's their bread and butter 59s are kind of what they do the bulk of isn't it
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I tried all of the ones he had, and he had, like, an offset, and he had uh, gold tops and a 54 style, and they were all absolutely astonishing. And and he said to me, why are they so good? Because he was asking me. I, I was like, look, now you're asking. But essentially, it's light, it's resonant. Even unplugged, it just sounds incredible. It feels comfortable to play, and I am not the most technical player, but... So I don't like guitars that fight me, and this one just—it feels like I've had it forever. Right. So it's amazing. So yeah, so that's that's new for me for guitars. Do you know what number you got? Oh, hang on, I'll, I'll
1: grab it because it's—they're uh, all like fifty-nine C, and then they have a number.
2: The uh, the one that's on
3: their website right now that's in stock is the OB 3 which is their—it's like oh, the, it's
1: the offset kind of one it's like a junior but it's like a weird
2: body shape that
3: that to me i'd I'd buy that
2: i'd buy that all day long all day long 59c 101 101
1: 101.
2: yeah so room 101 but
1: i I, I should be able to find that because they list them all on their site so you can check all the previous builds Ah, um, oh, annoyingly, it jumps from
2: ninety
1: eight to one hundred three. <laughs> ah, so I can't even check it out. More. I'll send
2: you some guitar porn later. <laughs> <so>. thank, thank, <laughs> thank, you, you, thank you, thank, thank you. you.
1: But yeah, oh, they they make absolutely perfect, perfect instruments. How did you feel it compared to you know? I guess the Gibson things
2: that you got. Um, it, they're, not, they're not they're just not comparable. And and I I know that that seems. Firstly, it's unfair to gibson in that you know they're a big operation they they sell thousands of guitars and they are historic they're everywhere and they've made loads of cool music or their 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 artists have with their instruments but you cannot beat a small operation of course who someone who obsesses over the minutest details um, how are you going to, how are you going to compete well, with I that I think yeah. you can't. I think that was the same for me with the Nick
3: Huber cuz ultimately you know I had a oh, yeah you Nick's know I had, a, I had a <laughs> I had a 58 you know 58 less custom shop Les Paul, uh you know in pink obviously um but you know I kind of the kind of same as you really thought it's like I I love the guitar cuz it's got Gibson on the headstock and it's a 58 and then the sort of more you play it, the more you're like, oh, maybe the neck doesn't feel right. And I think I swapped the pickups out because I was like, the paths that were in there weren't very good. And then ultimately, when I met, you know, Nick and the team at Guitar Summit a couple of years ago, and they were like, look, we'll, we'll build you one and we'll send it to you and talk about it on the podcast. And then if you want to buy it, we want buy it. And it's like, as soon as I got it, it's resonant, it's light, instantly, like, plays perfectly. Every month I've had it, every time I pick it up, it feels better than the last time. And... You know, I, I mean, the thing for me is that it is super light, and it's such a mixture of woods, but they all just work. They're so resonant; they just, they just really work. And it's, it's right. There's some great Les Pauls. I've played some amazing Les Pauls. You know, I've played some '59 Les Pauls, and they've been absolutely stunning. But you think you're right. The mass production sometimes can. Lose its way. I mean, quite often I I follow. Him, I think I talked about him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But that Troglis guitar show, the guy just buys yeah, himself yeah. everything Gibson, effectively. And quite often when he's buying new stuff, like the critiques that he's got on new ones out of the box compared to like some of the other ones
2: that he's bought. Um, you know, it's so. So th- I think for me, Matt. The and uh, the other thing that. That plays heavily on my decision for purchasing is, I buy from people really. I like I liked Angelo and Freya that that I liked, still do like. I like them even more now because I've got an amazing guitar that I bought. But um, they are they're lovely people. They're working hard to to create wonderful mm. instruments, mm. and that instantly makes it desirable as far as I'm concerned and it's the same with Nick Huber because Nick's incredible I could say the same thing about Frank Brothers and Patrick James Eggle and you meet all these incredible people Seth Bacchus and the thing is I then bond with the guitar straight off the bat because hey there I've got I feel like I'm invested in the person's yeah. journey yeah oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds lame, but uh, but you know what I'm trying to say. I, I it just makes it it just makes it a better a better thing for me. And uh, you know, it's a weird decision. I to think make, that's but. the
3: thing about the industry, though, isn't it? And it's like why we like talking to you, and why we like Thorpy Pedals, and and all the people that we talk to at Summit is that you know they're invested. You know, invested in the product and invested in the brand. And I know. You're talking from a boss perspective the first time I met Yoshi. It's like, I love boss, but, you know, I love boss even more now that I know Yoshi and everything that, you know, he's done in the brand for the last sort of, seven years and people are invested in him and, and what he's done for the brand. And ultimately, I think that leads to better success for guitar brands more than anything. It's just being a nice bunch of people and being invested in what you do. And people love that and, and follow that, don't they? Um so you
1: could, I mean, it's it's still a relatively small community of enthusiasts, you know. in In the scheme of things that you can buy and things that are hobbies, this is a this a small industry. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I tell you what, though, there's a, a good example of this. Is a uh, is it Joe Doe's... Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe oh, Joe. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So let's because not right. I, I, we have to be honest. Not everyone can. Go to a and say, oh, can you make me a guitar? Right, that that's that's reserved generally. Um It's quite hard to do, uh, and it's usually like a bit of a dream guitar type sketch. Mm-hmm. But you mm-hmm. know, Jodo g- guitars are amazing, and they've bit, they've made them readily available. Uh, I I would buy one of those just because again I'm bought into the whole story. I'd like you know the guy is amazing. Same with the Greg Cock guitar. We do- yeah,
1: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Reverend, yeah.
2: Yeah, and bought into what Greg Cox trying to Kosh is trying to do. And yeah. I you know, just because it's not just because it's mass produced doesn't mean you can't have that same feeling about the product. Um Yeah.
1: Yeah, abs- no, absolutely. It's not necessarily just the custom shop stuff. I think it's just the it's it's uh, it's being it's people who are invested in the community and and anyone can make a product at any price point and care about it and try and make it as good as possible. But mm. But yeah, well, there you go, there you go. Keeping on, uh, keeping on the Gibson uh, thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deftly segue into a couple of Gibson stories that I wanted to tell. So, it was my dad's seventieth birthday on the weekend, right? And Happy I saw, birthday. I saw yeah, there you go. He made it, he made it all that way. Seven children here. I'm the eldest. Blimey, no TV <laughs> in your house. <laughs> no. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, so you know, everyone got together. And I saw I saw one of my aunts who I hadn't seen in years, and she was like, "Joe, you uh, you know the guitar stuff, don't you?" And I said, "Yes, yes I do." So she had uh, she had her her elder sister's husband had passed away, and uh, like a couple of years ago now. But anyway, he had he had some guitars, and uh, she didn't know what to do with them. And anyway, she said she had this one guitar. She said it's made by Gibson. She said uh, um, I think it's a French name. <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like a French. Like, oh, you think it's Le Paul, don't you? <laughs> 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 Le, Paul, Ronnie, Le, Le Paul Paul <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but yeah. So anyway, she she um, she was like, yeah, she's got this Les Paul, and uh, and uh, some of some of her friends who have been kind of people who they they know vaguely have been calling out the paintwork and suddenly offering her like five hundred quid for it, seven hundred and fifty quid, a thousand pounds for it. And she she was like, I just thought I told her not to sell it to them until I checked it with you just to see if they're trying to mug her off and uh and she showed me um pictures of what was um a true historic 59 Les Paul um like still in its case still with all the that she'd taken pictures of all the paperwork and everything with it i mean it looks virtually untouched um so i was i was very pleased to to i sort of looked up the serial, serial number for it and i was like yeah these this is six thousand pounds. People are offering
2: a five hundred quid.
1: I know, I know. I hate people sometimes. I really I do. Have,
3: I got a couple of interesting stories, Joe. You might remember this one from the GAC days, actually. Oh. Um, had a had a customer phone up once, uh, old fella, and he was like, "I've got, I've got all this stuff, all this stuff. I've inherited all this stuff." I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, I've sort been phoning around and trying to find out a bit more about it. Uh, and he proceeded to go on. He's like, I've got... He's like, I just don't have the space. You know, he was living in basically like a one-bed council flat. He's like, I've got nine of these Fender amps in my uh, in my kitchen. He's like, a mate of mine. He, was, <laughs> he he'd collected guitars and he he died. And he, it turned out he left them all to me. And he was like, yeah, they're like... Tremolux or something, and I think they're really old. So I ended up talking to him, and he's like, Look, you know, he said, I've got nine of these Fender Tremolux amp heads in like they're like a blonde color, like same my thing. I've got, and then it turned out, and then he was like, Yeah, I've got, and it, you know, not only that, did all this stuff turn off on my doorstep, I've also inherited this warehouse, this lockup. And I went down, there's 300 guitars in there. Oh my god, oh my and god, I, and, I, and I was like. <laughs> That, you know, you, you sort of start going, is this, re- is someone winding me up? So, anyway, we ended up speaking. He was like, Look, you know, I spoke to a couple of guitar shops, and some guy said off the bat, without even seeing it, I'll give you 10 grand for the lot. And then that's when you start to like, y- you start to realize that probably, you, you, as a seller, as a person who owns the gear, you start to get really. Defensive because you're like, hold on, all of a sudden I've gone from like nothing to like all of these things and then people want to offer me loads of money. Turns out he knew a, a friend of a friend. Um, so I phoned him and I said, yeah, is this legit? And he said, yeah, I've, I've been there. And basically his mate died and he was like a semi-famous actor in the, I think in the 70s. And he, he just bought guitars every week. He just went into a guitar shop and just bought a guitar. So he had a range of stuff from like Squire Bullets, to like vintage Les Pauls, basically, and my mate actually ended up buying one of those. It was a nineteen sixty four Tremolux head, all original, like work, like fully working. The guy had nine of them, and um, and and basically, the the problem was is that he then got to the point where because I was like, look, I I'll sell them for you on commission, um, but it got to the point where people just. He kept phoning people about it and people were making him like clearly lowball offers. Somewhere between low ball offer and somewhere where the, the guy doesn't know he wants more money than they're probably worth. So it ended up being like a, a kind of a standoff. I think even to now, we don't think he's departed with that much stuff. But yeah, people just came in with like crazy money. Like I'll give you five grand for the whole lot. And He was like, "I'm pretty sure it's worth more than five grand," but didn't know how much it was worth. And to yeah. your point, Philby, it's just the, the same the same thing. And actually, even to this this day, with one of my colleagues on the team, saw on Gumtree, Gumtree, France. Guy was like, "Oh, my dad's died, and and here's a bunch of stuff that he had in his loft." And it's like cheap drum kits and a couple of like crappy classicals. And then in the corner, it's just like roland jupiter six just just the like the logo in the corner and he emailed him and said oh is that have you got a roland jupiter six and he went and the guy instantly came back and was like yes why do you want to know people have been offering me five grand i'm getting 10 emails a day like you know and i i ultimately then people start going well I don't know what it is and people keep hounding me for it and it's like crazy money and then you know I'll give you a thousand pounds for it and I'll come and get it right now and you know it must be awful really to be in that position but uh, yeah I feel for your aunt Jo's you know just got that well
1: Well, they're, they're, I mean, the good news—the good at news that situation—is I've—I've said that I'll—I'll I'll sell it for her on on my reverb store. I'll give you five hundred <laughs> quid. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up. Uh, next week anyway, so that I can sort of clean it up, restring it, make sure it's all in good order. And uh, the, great, the great news is, I mean, I'm sure it won't take long to to sell, but I, for at least a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll have a Gibson True Historic Les Paul to mess around with. Amazing. do lots of recording with. So, yeah, that's going to be good fun. That kind of brings us on to another Gibson thing, because it is time for what's in our watch list. Is it my turn this week? It is. Man? Last week I talked okay. about the uh, the Flash Mini Explorer Oh, yes, you did. That was a very good one. Well, this week now I showed you this earlier Matt and you had a, a terrible reaction to this. You were really not a fan. And so I'm hoping is going to be more positive. Uh Thorpe, I'm going to pop the link just in the uh, in like the te- the text box bit of our uh our session. There you go. So you click on that. This I think is Extraordinarily cool and very well priced for what it is, I have stumbled across in Bath, no less, a place I'm going to next week. Oh my goodness, everything's adding up. A 1974 Gibson Les Paul Signature.
2: Now you need to uh, you need to obviously pause this uh, podcast, not release until you've actually had the opportunity <laughs> to look at this. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean. It's, it looks quite nice. You know, it's a bit uh, a bit lopsided. Well, this is it, dear listener. If you're not familiar with the Les
1: Paul signature, it's kind of an offset 335 meets Les Paul. It is a completely different shape. I'll read you the the description because I I knew very little about this guitar. So, um, uh, striking Gibson Les Paul Signature Model from the mid-70s in perfectly played and very vibey condition. The Les Paul Signature Model was released in 73 as part of Gibson's new low-impedance instrument range, which, of course, dear listener, carries on to today. Only in the basses, I believe, with the Jack Cassidy, which is very much a bass version of this body shape, which has the the impedance-based pickups, which means you have a... A pickup that has uh, three variable switches, a low, medium, or high impedance, which essentially is changing the the amount of aggression that your pickup is capable of, <laughs> which, uh, uh, which is great. It's a great alternative to having multiple pickups or something. You've just got that, you know, and it works better than a volume switch is going to do to give you those kind of three different sounds. Anyway, so um, it says low impedance range that included the Les Paul Personal, as well as the Les Paul recording. Of course, that's the, the famous one of the three. The personal and recordings were more traditional designs and bore similarities to the Les Paul models of the 50s, whereas the Les Paul signature was a total departure from the traditional Les Paul design. More akin to Gibson's thin line instruments. A little ahead of the curve, the Les Paul signature would be absent from the catalogue by 78 Um started in 73 this one's a 73 um uh, uh but the model is seen ripped blah 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 seen they, they only made 1500 of these apparently gold top dear listener
2: oh yes
1: yes where it's especially where it's wearing on the sort of upper lower arm bit
2: i'd go for that just because it's weird and like it's characterful. Uh, uh, weird's not the right the right. Matt'll probably say it's weird.
3: I, I I disliked it and then I've looked at it again and gone actually I could probably play that.
2: Hey, this is
1: great. I think it's fantastic. I'll put the link for you, dear listeners. It's Four and a half thousand pounds. It's had a price drop down from five. Um but if you're talking about if we're talking about Gibson money here for a seventy-four Les Paul, I don't think that's too too
3: well, much. I would actually argue the better guitar that Vintage and Rare and Bath have right now, which I didn't even know was a Gibson guitar. And now I've seen it, I absolutely want it. I have always been a massive fan of the RD artist um, because I think the RDs look wicked. (laughs) And because. I know what you're going to do. And because. They obviously have some Moog-designed circuitry in, you know, in the 70s and 80s. They were trying to capitalise on that guitar synthesiser market. Um, they actually have a 1980 Gibson ES artist, which is the 335 with the RD circuitry in it. No F-holes. Um... I think laminate top and then yeah you've got the RD circuitry on which gives you bright mode expansion mode and compression.
1: Um I'm so excited. I am so ex- I wonder if they've got a picture in here of the uh, like the the computer chip thingy. The circuitry. Have you seen how big the yeah, have you seen how big that is in the in the in the RD? Yeah, it's massive. It's like the whole of the back of the instrument. Yeah.
3: Well, that's where all the magic Moog circuitry lies. Uh, and quite often people used to to rip that stuff out. I think what's also impressive is the fact there's a three-piece flame maple neck. Um, yeah, it's very cool. I'm into that. And then it's got that weird bridge with those little micro tuners on it. Yeah, I'm less into that. That kind of ruins the whole um, feel. I don't
2: like um, the clown burst.
3: Yeah, you could just just strip that finish it in pink or something that would be fine um <laughs> but i'm i'm very i'm very much into that i think that's that is very
1: cool vintage around knocking out some some cool guitars actually at the moment I, oh, i'm so, i totally forgot until we've spoken about it that that's in bath and i'm going to be there next week i'm so going there and parting with so much I always, money can you I play really,
2: that sg for me
1: Oh, uh, oh, yes. A 64 SG oh, dealer cool. for 7,500 pounds. I just cleared a credit card, everyone. So. <laughs> oh, right. You're right for <laughs> us. <laughs> I hope
3: they're listening. Um, I mean, interestingly, well, annoyingly, I've seen quite a few of uh, uh, 71, 72 Fender Tele standards up for sale, and now they're worth loads of money, so I wish I'd never sold mine. Um, but they've also got the... Collector's Choice Number One, which is the uh Gary Moore, Melvin Frank's Greenie Burst, the Aged One, which obviously ultimately now they've done the Kirk Hammett version. Um, going for the the rather extortionate sum of £39,995. If you'd have bought one of those, <laughs> if you had bought one of those uh, when they came out um because there was a thing because they originally called it the melvin franks and then i think the aged ones had to be called the gary moore if i remember rightly they just went instantly and i, kn- I know someone who bought one from GAC i think we had one still sitting on it now and uh yeah 40 grand
2: is this like Bitcoin for Boomers? <laughs> kind of.
3: There, I mean, there was always. I I think those early collectors' choice were always going to be the most valuable. The only one I've seen go for more money, and it was still one of the best guitars I ever played, was the Pearly Gates Billy Gibbons aged and signed. And I think even then, that was at like eleven grand.
2: Um is that the one with the
3: tribal tattoo? No, no, they did a late they did a pinstriped gold top. That they oh, that was no, so th- this one was the the 59. Um I mean what's funny about the obviously the collector's choice number one is that you know, that guitar famously had obviously like a big headstock break. So I always wondered how they managed to replicate that in the um <laughs> in these. I hope
2: someone just, like, got to kick it around. Yeah,
1: just Just, Gibson's famous uh, quality control right there. No,
2: (laughs) it wouldn't be authentic, would it? Unless they had, like, a demolition derby. Like, right, stick this in the boot, mate. I'm going to crash my car into you. uh, And if it breaks, it breaks. If it doesn't, we'll have to go again.
3: um, I think that was in a car crash time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Literally was in a
2: car crash. (laughs) Yeah. it's a lot of money for what is ultimately a reissue.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. It is, it is a lot of money. I mean, we were talking um we were talking a few, yeah a few weeks ago at the fifty thousand pound greenie uh, that obviously they're putting up for sale and you know what, it's a great way for them to know who their fifty biggest customers are. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so it's marketing. Yeah, but I, I,
3: I would say it's probably more marketing than, than anything. Um, I didn't realise that actually Gibson, I saw this the other day, that uh, Gibson do this thing on their Gibson TV channel, which is like the collection, and they go around and they talk to famous people about the guitars they've got. I they did one Slash recently, and they've turned it into a book of like all the guitars that he owns. And uh, yeah, ultimately, um, that man owns a lot of less Pauls. I tell you what he also has,
2: the most interesting Instagram page you will ever see. Really? all no, right yeah go and follow okay. him he how he gets away with his daily posts is beyond me
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, i can't
2: say any more just go and watch it they are the weirdest he's into some sort of horror porn art thing <laughs> and uh, so some of the things that are posted just yeah boggles the mind because
3: well, i oh, think okay. uh whether this is a good thing for me to say or not, I think he record he uses he's a a big fan of the G R fifty five. The wrote the uh the Roland's G R fifty five synth. And I think he's cause he actually did some horror soundtracks, if I remember rightly. Um and yeah, he was using all of that on on his horror soundtracks. Um Him and Kirk Hammett should uh, collaborate. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. They yeah. could have a horror thon. <laughs> What is it about metal and rock guitarists and
2: horror? Is that, is, it's it's just guitarists. We're all a bit weird. Yeah, that's that's really what yeah, it is. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly. fair enough. <laughs>
1: Well, fellas, that that does actually bring us up to time for this week's episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast. We're going to be heading over to the Patreon where we're going to to maybe talk about some of the news of the week this week. There have been a few cool things there. But also, we've had a few questions on the Guitar Nerds Facebook group. Casey Gray's asked, what are a few things he can do to improve a cheap guitar with little or no skill? Which almost... God, does that cut us from changing pickups? I think maybe. I don't know, but yeah, I guess soldering's pretty easy to do. Uh, but anyway, anyway, we'll deal with that there, and maybe we'll talk. Uh, about uh, Peter Mode, um <laughs> question about Gear of the Year and uh, and what we're what we're thinking about doing for it, but uh, but yes, um, do join us there, dear listener. You can become a Patreon supporter for as little as a dollar a month. At the dollar tier, you get this episode ad free and early. Five dollars gets you access to the Patreon special episodes and our entire back catalog. $10 gets you a lot. Plus, I'll sing you my thanks at the end of every episode. We've had a random slew of new Patreon backers this week, which is good because we, we didn't have any new ones for about a month. So uh, thanks to all the new people. There's too, too many for me to... Well, I just didn't prepare the list, so sorry. <laughs> they all want those free picks, Joe. They all want they all want their question
3: asked, and they all want those free ah, picks. Ah, yes, that's
1: what it is. That's what it is. Uh, but you can find us on your favourite social media platform and join the guitar nerds group on facebook to get involved in our weekly episode discussion thorpy thank you so much for joining us again
2: thank you for having me you can find me on only fans
1: <laughs> he's got his own horror thing
2: going on <laughs> his a horror so bag yes yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, okay well thank you for listening dear listener you've been lovely we've been the guitar nerds farewell bye, bye. bye. Sing the sexy names
0: out oh, One by one We can all dance and sing together In harmony Are you ready to get sexy?
1: Brian and Barry Gresbick, Steve Davis, Danny Walker, Jorrett Brown, Andy Hoffler, Holly Simpson, John Conaway, Russell Healing, Paul True, Peter Pesch, Ty Allen, Yogi, the guitarist, Sean Hughes, Brian Hansen, Eric Emma, Jeffrey Wax, Brian Einser, Gabbett, Van der Linden, Andy Manley, Mark Lizout and Wacky. Born and Swid Rock Son, Eric File, Joe Contact, James Dore, Abe Matthews, Kytopia, the band, Russ Edwards, Stephen Burke, Dave Lee, Jane Gray, Scott Kennedy, Christopher set Derek Rich, Oh, Blake Wild and Rob Lord Think, Jamie John Steele, Merkel, Annie McCansy, Brad Page, Robert Smith.